0: On Earth, are we? Why in heaven are we here? And how to make sense of this mess of our humanness, and perhaps even transcend it? Welcome back, everyone, to season two of Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, where we deep dive into uplift with insight, thanks to remarkably informed guests exploring the nature of our human nature and how to better relate to it. If abnormal is the new normal and perceiving is the new believing, then inner is the new outer, and consciousness is our source. For healing. Yet for so many, it still seems like anything but the dawn of an era of well being. So, what's going on? Well, if you look at it from the outside in, it's the same old conflictual story getting pretty wacky and scary. But now we're raising the bar by raising awareness that this mess of our humanness can only be resolved from the insight out. Think about that play on words insight as an in inciting violence versus insight as in vision that emanates from a profound shift in perception about the world around us and within us. This is a mighty discussion space featuring mighty voices of loving change, two of whom are our co-hosts on this adventure through humanity's hero's journey. Let me welcome our esteemed Urban uh, Laszlo, two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, world-renowned philosopher and system scientist, author or co-author of over 106 books, founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest, and recipient of multiple honors and awards, like the Goya Peace Prize, the Assisi Mandir of Peace Prize, and the Luxembourg Peace Prize. And Fred Tsao, business leader, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, author, chairman of the Family Business Network's ambassador circle, and founder of Itia Institute and Octave Institute, fusing ancient wisdom and quantum science as a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life, mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness and freedom. Today's remarkable guest is Dr. Shamani John. Dr. John is an international keynote speaker, teacher, psychologist, scientist, and social entrepreneur. She's founder and CEO of the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, a nonprofit collaborative accelerator that connects scientists, health practitioners, educators, and artists to help lead humanity to heal themselves. Integrating her background in clinical psychology, psychoneuroimmunology, Jane's spiritual wisdom, and the healing arts. She teaches people how they can best heal themselves and live life with joy. She shares her research on the science of healing in diverse venues, including NATO, TEDx, major universities, medical centers, health-related conferences, and corporations. She also serves as adjunct faculty at UC San Diego, and her best-selling book is Healing Ourselves biofield science, and the future of health. She's a member of the Evolutionary leader Circle, as well as board member and advisor for several nonprofits and social benefit companies. So I welcome everybody to this very exciting conversation. And I'd like to start with a quote from Irvin in Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing's book, page 49. It goes like this, coherence in society calls for working together and creating the system where I becomes we, where the parts maintain their unique identity while working together to maintain the integral coherence of the whole that they form. This is the principle we obtain from quantum paradigm, from the quantum paradigm. Public policy is the field for the application of this principle. It defines the coexistence of unique, but not separate individuals in coherent wholes, whether these wholes are states and nations or businesses or social and cultural groups. Unquote. Uh, I have a question to launch this very interesting discussion, but Irvin, I want to officially welcome you because I know you have to leave a little early today. So.
1: Indeed. Thank you. Thank you, Alexandra.
0: Wonderful to have you. Okay, I'm just going to deep dive into my first question and see where this leads, everybody. Apropos of Irvin's wonderful quote, Einstein says that energy is information that moves. And our recent guest, Deepak Chopra, states that the body is a process. So how then can our parts maintain said unique identity, let alone the integral coherence of the whole when both identities are undergoing this rapid transformation thanks to things like AI. I mean, we're going from human to transhuman to potentially even Martian. The individual and the whole are interchangeable. So should we work together on behalf of, let's say, coherent chaos?
1: Irvin, take it away. Of course, we have to work together. What's interesting, and I think Shamini will, will will throw more light on this, that things that used to be called strictly spiritual, such as consciousness and healing, uh, and and now are becoming associated with concepts such as we just heard from our guest, with psychoneuroimmunology and and brain research and consciousness research in terms of the neural neural co- correlates of consciousness and healing. So this thing is moving, this whole field of enterprise is moving from the strictly spiritual into the scientific level. And it's very important because if there is any clear statement of what's wrong today, we could say wrong, well, basically what is wrong is our misapprehension of the nature of the world and of the nature of humanity and of our individual nature ourselves. We are not separate individual elements mechanically interlocked with others. We are part of a larger whole. This comes from quantum science. This comes from psychoneuroimmunology. And I, I hope that Shamini will throw will more light on this, because it's absolutely a vital question. How can we heal ourselves through consciousness? What is the role of consciousness? What is the role of science versus spirituality? Not versus, but with spirituality in this grand enterprise of changing our consciousness so that we could change our life and change our, the world around us. Yeah. Let's go on to Shamini and, and to see what, what she says on this. It will be very exciting.
2: Well, thank you, Erwin, and thank you, Allison, and Fred. It's an honor to be here and uh, so so grateful for the conversation. It's such an important one. Here's what science is leading us to. First of all, let's examine what science is. It's just a pathway for understanding the truth, as is spirituality. There are many different pathways, right? And we all have our techniques and our processes. What I find very exciting is that the science is showing us that separation is a myth. And when we think about your initial question, um, Allison, it makes a lot of sense. Erwin spoke about psychoneuroimmunology, which is my home area of study. And I just want to remind people that about 60 years ago, psychoneuroimmunology didn't exist. We, you know, if we talked to mainstream scientists, they thought... There's no way our emotions affect our bodies. <laughs> you know, and now, of course, it's, it's a very different scenario. There's a really deep and beautiful area of study in here, um, which is really looking at, of course, central nervous system activity, the effects on hormones, the role of emotions. And we're moving even beyond that with the area of biofield science, which is the study of Fields of energy and information that guide our health. Now, part of what I have done, and I, you know, sort of review, um, very deeply the area of biofield science in my book, is to really explore what does this mean from a consciousness-based level. Well, first of all, we know this is not new. This is, this is knowledge that has been held by spiritual traditions for millennia. That the very role of our consciousness reminds us that, first of all, we're fluid in nature, right? So even the idea of identity is questionable because, of course, we're all part of the same fabric of consciousness. And what we're learning from these studies with healers, healing practitioners, who describe their own process of coming into the greater consciousness, releasing their idea of their limited consciousness, in order to help facilitate healing in another is, first of all, healing is very real. It happens. You can't explain that if you're going through the lens of separation, which is what we have been taught in science and medicine in the Western world um, for a long time, because you can't explain it by placebo. You can't fully explain it by cognitive factors. We are seeing effects of so-called energy healing or biofield healing, consciousness-based practices where just by connecting with a larger consciousness, we're able to facilitate healing all the way to the physical level, including even in cell signaling, in cell and animal studies. It's even beyond humans. So this is very demonstrable. And what it's showing us is indeed, there is something that we're just uncovering now, really more deeply in science with biofield science that is showing us that our abilities, to tap into that wider expanse of interconnection will actually guide us to co-create the planet that we know is possible. And, and I think that's really the take-home from the science.
1: Hmm. It's really coming back to the source. The, the planet and the consciousness that pervades the planet is the source, really. It really
2: is. Yeah. And we even see this, for example, bioenergetically with grounding studies and some of the wonderful work that our colleagues at HeartMath and other places have been doing, looking at the communication bioenergetically between trees, between trees and people, the geomagnetic fluctuations of the earth and how they influence our heart rhythms. You know, even synchronizing now, we've seen from the work at HeartMath that People across the world show a synchronization of their heart rate variability. Even if they don't know each other, they're sleeping at different times. You can't explain this by circadian rhythms. And when they looked more deeply as to what's sinking them, well, it was the Earth's rhythms that were actually sinking them, right? So we're all part of this giant biofield. We live on the biggest aura on the planet, which is Mother Earth. <laughs> and Mother <laughs> Earth is actually guiding us if, of course, we take the time to listen. Mm.
3: It's like
0: Earth is the conductor of this phenomenal symphony of multiple rhythms, uh, if we would only get in sync. Please continue, Irvin. you were going to say. Uh,
1: to, to get in sync <laughs> that seems to be the, the big task in front of us. There are techniques for doing that. Shamini mm-hmm. mean, would say some words about how you think is the best way to connect to this field, which is around us, which is also in us, and we are in it how to sync with it. What is your advice?
2: You bet. Well, here, I'll speak first from the science side and then my own teaching and practice. First of all, from the scientific side, the beauty of this is that there are so many practices. And when we look at the effects on health, for example, for ancient practices like Qigong, Tai Chi, many forms of meditation, whether they're mindfulness or more concentrative like mantra or even centering prayer in the Christian tradition, yoga, All of these have profound effects on our nervous system. They work to harmonize our nervous system. Of course, again, providing that balance between the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, which allow us to come into alignment. So all of these ancient practices are wonderful. There are earthing and grounding practices that, of course, help us to harmonize our relationship with the earth. Bioenergetically connect so that we can release what no longer serves us compost it into Great Mother Earth, and of course receive her guidance and her energy on the spiritual and also bioenergetic level. But I will share that for me personally, and much of the work that I do with my students, relates to the, um, the wonderful practice of sound making. Which of course includes mantra meditation, but also connecting with sound itself. Now, Erwin, I know that you and Allison and Fred are probably deeply aware that in the, in many ancient traditions, including of course the East Indian traditions, which I am, you know, kind of most familiar with growing up in those traditions, sound itself is consciousness. And so there is something about connecting with our inner sound that can bring us all the way back into our spirit. Right. And expand our consciousness. And indeed, in the Vedic traditions, they discuss the four different levels of sound from the gross, Vekari, to the complete subtle, to the all, which was described as para. So when we engage in practices like mantra meditation, of course, from the tantric tradition, connecting with certain deific energies and qualities of consciousness, which have been described as elements, you know, literally consciousness in form in the form of elements, fire, earth, air, water, planetary energies. This was an all very deep ancient science. And what I find personally, and what my students find, is that by just engaging in the sound making, you can go to all of these levels. You can clear emotional stagnation, you can move blocks, you can energize yourself. But on the deeper level, you can connect spiritually to expand your biofield, to touch those larger aspects of consciousness and bring those into your daily life.
1: Well, that's the thing, expanding our consciousness. So we encompass others, and encompass earthly nature, planetary nature, so that we can identify with it and align with it, be with the force. That you that you see here around and mm-hmm. be that as Gandhi said, and then perhaps we shall not be a stranger in this in this in this biofield, not be a stranger in the in the earthly universe, in the earth, earthly nature, but be a positive element of its shifting of its shifting up. There's the new paradigm as we call the quantum paradigm. And this is where we think about studying what the new sciences, including your science that you are quoting now the in neuroscience, uh um, bios, bioscience, the bioenergy fields. This is what they can contribute for us. This is a different universe. We don't live in a stranger universe, uh, immaterial, in in, in not imp- impersonal. I think even a few few years ago, a couple of decades decades ago, Steven Beinberg and others talked about the loss of nature having an impersonal quality that is has nothing to do with us living things. Now we realize that in science and cosmology, the whole universe is a resonating field. And it's a resonating field that includes us, that makes us what we are. So moving in this direction is extremely promising. And I'd like to hear from Shamini some more, how you do it, how your students do it and what it is that you find. How is it? How How is your consciousness when you have connected? How did it change from the everyday consciousness? I mean, I me mean just said, in my own experience as a child prodigy in music, that formed my whole life. Mm-hmm. The experience of music, you know, resonating with it, you're entering into a different dimension that's coherent that's actually boundless and no boundaries within. That is an ex- experience that made me search for that in science, the same way that Shalini, you yourself are searching for it, as finding the elements of how to connect, how to be one with this resonating biofield, a tremendously important new field of endeavor.
2: Oh, so beautiful. Thank you so much, Erwin. And I, I so resonate with what you have shared about music. I, I would hardly call myself a prodigy, but like you, I was very taken with music at an early age. Like many children probably was, you know, singing around the house at a very young age and recognized the power of sound and as a singer. Uh, for myself in terms of the profound palpable effects of vibration, that is actually what led me to study the biofield and energy medicine because I could sense the very strong link even at that young age of sound and consciousness, and as you say, the ability to expand consciousness. And One thing that I have noticed in my students and pretty much the world these days is, and this is why I think the biofield work and the science is so powerful because As we connect in, we realize that we're never alone. We have a massive mental health epidemic in the world. And if we really look to the core aspects that drive mental health imbalance, it is caused by a deep sense of separation, a perceived lack of support, a lack of interconnection. And when we engage in these practices, we not only are able to expand our being so that we can meet another person but we begin to realize that we're not alone now, part of this work, what I've noticed in my teaching, is that it's it's integration. It's also connecting with the different aspects of ourselves that we've left behind. And I, I speak about this a, a bit in my book, in the third part of my book, which is called The Healing Keys. and my own journey, for example, with singing and music, for many years, I left that aside because I wanted to pursue my research. And I felt like I couldn't do both well. I was very perfectionist about my music. Irvin, I don't know if you could relate to that. So I lost a big part of myself. And what I've noticed is, in working with my students, sometimes they leave certain parts of themselves behind. And part of the healing work that they do, their ability to interconnect with others is to reconnect with those parts of themselves, whether it's the inner child, whether it's some other type of, you know, archetypal energy that they have not been able to integrate fully into themselves. When they're able to do that and meet themselves as a whole person, with many, many different facets that they can choose to express when they want. You see this enlivening that happens in people. You know, you were speaking, what does this connection look like? It It's at first, I think happens often on the emotional level because people are so emotionally shut down often, right? That's just the way our society breeds us. So it begins with that sort of a lifting of, uh, of a weight, um, emotionally that people carry. And then with the lifting of that emotional weight, there is an openness and an ability to experience even more on the spiritual level. So so that's what I've noticed. And I do feel that creative play uh, is a is a huge part of uplifting. If we want to come into our own creatorship, each person, which is what we're being called to do, then everyone has to recognize that each of us is a conscious creator. And the way to meet that creator is through play.
1: <laughs> Sorry, would you repeat that, so I mean, is, is, is the what you said, the way to it, meet him. is what?
2: Is through play, is through it's play, playing. Yes, you know, I see releasing that. the mind for a moment and just being in flow and allowing things to happen, not being afraid of failing, not being afraid of what you sound like, you know, I do a lot of vocal empowerment work, I will tell you, my fellow singers are afraid to speak, do public speaking, my fellow public speakers <laughs> are afraid to sing. So, you know, what is that about? we ha- we have to be comfortable in our expression
1: mm. Mm. beautiful Beautiful. beautiful. okay Uh, well i
2: i mean i'm already so excited
0: because i very much resonate to this musical component which i have felt uh for a long time is very present on this planet how music is such a driving uh force on this planet and how it's i've I've referred to it other times how it is really a portal towards love i mean there is It seems to be, I think the most, I don't want to make a broad statement, but perhaps the most universally broad uh, inroad towards love because it can be individualized for each person, but it's speaking to this sinking component, this musical vibration that runs through us and every living being. I mean, Fred... Are you, are you musically inclined and it's not necessary that a person is, but I'm just so curious if music or this kind of vibration has been present in your life since perhaps you were young. Fred. Well, I think <laughs> I'll
3: answer a question from a different angle to understand. Yeah. sound. Okay. Music is when the sound is behaving with a certain rules of universe it become music, otherwise who will perceive it as noise. Mm-hmm. So the music is just following like octave a certain rules. If we don't follow the rules of appearance is noise. Huh. And so the Tao of sound is music. Now let's talk about music from my perspective, Chinese perspective. If we look at the field, the field has no movement. But the minute the field starts creating with the evolutionary energy, or the Chinese called the Tao, it's light. When light, which is the consciousness carrying of the Tao, in the face and create the universe, the cosmos create the universe, sound appears as an expression. So there's the sound of the sun, there's the sound of the moon, there's the sound of thunder, there's sound of trees. There's, the sound is material duality it is the universe. So sound is an expression of the universe of materialism or duality, and it's always moving. And the cosmos has no movement, but the light is evolution energy. That interface with consciousness and the energy and thus. Now there's a distortion because there is no chaos, except in our mind, everything (laughs) has order if you look at nature. So what's the chaos? What is our interpretation? The I, the ego. Mm, lovely. Being grounded with the receptors that are not the true receptor. The true receptor to the question is the Holy Spirit is talking to you. It's the inner side. Why? Why is the stillness very important? In stillness, you're moving back to the source. And from the source, you have information. If you're moving a lot, then you don't. So the whole life is to train the stillness in movement so that in our life we're not distorted by this information flow without perception and the distortion by the eye, which is perception, and therefore we don't hear. As somebody say, you don't hear. If you hear Earth, the sound of the universe is is talking to you. But there's even more important than that. The evolutionary energy is talking to you as you return to the source. Now, we know in stillness, in contemplative science, your connection of the right brain is done. And your mental activity increases a lot, and healing happens when you go into stillness. The left brain, right brain is communicating, and your pathway is strengthening. And so, you know, our body is the biggest. Pharmaceutical company factory in the world. We can manufacture anything. <laughs> that they can manufacture. So why is healing not happen? Because distortion of information that comes by our emotions. Yes. And our emotion is responding to the delusionary eye. So when we are really peaceful in that thing, healing happens, information starts happening. The more you're delusional into your emotions and your way to see the world that you have this big ego, the more you have problem getting the information to sync. So when will we sync coherency? Get rid of the I.
0: But I have a question, Fred, that is so intriguing and so true in, in many ways. Is the way out of emotion, can the way out of our emotion that blocks all of this be through
2: music? Can that be the way out? I would love to share a bit about this I'm so excited to to share actually how do we, how does it, how do we make this even more real and palpable in the context of healing and even some of the studies we've done during the pandemic we actually did a study on distant sound healing for anxiety during the pandemic so this was during a shutdown no one could leave their home we already know that there's a rampant anxiety problem in the world and of course the the pandemic made it even worse right so we wanted to deliver something that we thought would really help uh, even at a distance and we looked at this sound healing approach called biofield tuning the paper is actually in review now and hopefully will be published soon after we air this i don't know um it's a first feasibility study and we're now raising funds for the randomized controlled trial i just want to explain a little bit about how these biofield tuners do their work we had several of them work on these um, these people who met diagnosed diagnosable levels of generalized anxiety disorder right they have an approach where they use a tuning fork to sense into the field of the other person. So they can do it in the room, but of course, at a distance. So relevant to what you're saying, Fred, the distortions come up in the sound. So when they're tuning into the field by the sound of the fork, they can actually tell by the sound whether there is a distortion in the field. And in my book, I describe how these distortions have been described as sanskaras, right, in our traditions, in the East Indian traditions. So what you were talking about, right, the distortion of information that can be linked to a trauma, right, for example, in in previous times, is actually not just stored in our brains. It's stored in our biofield. So when these sound healers are working, what they're saying they're doing is really, they can literally tune into where that distortion was around what time of life, and then they'll start asking questions. Did something happen to you at age four? You know, and sometimes they just get the information. They may have a dialogue with the person about it, but what the tuner is doing is taking that sound and moving it through the field until the distortion begins to resolve itself. So they're literally trying to clear the information. Often the person receiving the sound healing feels this shift, right, energetically in the body. Anyway, they have their whole process. This is based on the work of a really wonderful practitioner named Eileen McCusick, who's written a couple of books already on this process. In a nutshell, when we did the study, we found that with just three sessions over three weeks, these people dropped in their anxiety levels to where they would not be diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder anymore. And when we explored not only in the quantitative, but the qualitative data, when we we um, asked them, what happened? How did you feel? What did you notice? They said their relationship With the anxiety change? So relative to what you're saying, Fred, their sense of the eye expanded. They now notice that anxiety could be happening. And I want to remind everyone that emotions are not bad. They're part of being human. The key is whether we get caught up in them, as you say, get caught up in the eye. In their case, because they had an expanded sense of self, they were able to touch into the wider sense of consciousness of who they were. They were able to watch the anxiety change without getting sucked into it. And their relationships with others changed as a result. Um, so again, interconnection, right? Connecting with a larger sense of, of who we truly are beyond our conditioned egoic minds. Our relationships harmonize. And our relationships with our emotions shift as well.
1: Mm. This yes. is a, very, a new application of a very old principle. As you know, Shamini and Alison and Fred. Always that we are part of larger whole of larger holes, of which ultimately the whole, which is the system of life on the planet, the Gaia system. And this planetary field, the bio field, is what the ancients called and very much in the Indian tradition, the Shamini know, often called the Akashic field or yes. the Akasha as a dimension, which is prior to the other dimensions. So this recovery of this ancient knowledge, is one of the key contributions to the new paradigm of the new paradigm, the quantum paradigm based on the old, on the new system, on the new science, the quantum sciences, but recovering a very old science, which has been known into the shamans, to the Indian sealers, to the Chinese Daoists has been known for thousands of years. And this recovery of this is possibly the way out from this alienation. And conflict and violence and aggression that is surrounding us today. We have to become one. And that is, a, is in us. We can connect to the evolutionary imperative. I think that's the way forward. And Shamini and, and Fred and people like them. There are a few now, not too many, but they're growing in number are people who can point the way to it. That's the way forward. And I am very, very, hopeful, I wouldn't say optimistic, but I'm possibilistic. I think truly the possibilities are arising that even the August fields of classical medicine and in the August fields of classical education, not to mention not August, but still very, very, very uh, powerful field of politics, mm-hmm. might one day come in and realize that the way forward is not by giving directives from above, making people do but allowing them to become what they are, to tune in, to tune in to this biofield. No longer spiritual wisdom alone. It is now the deepest wisdom that we can feel, that we can wield and, and make our own. Thanks for, for your, your insights, Shamini, and thanks for the insights, Fred. I will certainly have to leave for a little while, but I enjoy this conversation tremendously. I think this is very, very important. Because the way forward is in us, and it is in alignment with all, with each us, each 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 other, and with the universe. A big step, a big claim, but it's the reality. That's the way to go.
2: Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Irvin. Thank you. Thank you, indeed, Irvin.
0: And and we're going to continue this conversation, even though Irvin has to lead. But what precious kernels of wisdom from Irvin Laszlo. As ever. Um, let's just continue for a moment on this, this note, if you will, because we're talking about all of these burgeoning, and it really it is like the world is blooming right now amidst the rubble, amidst the shock waves and all of this. So many ancient traditions are surfacing now and they're becoming in in um, Uh, engaging with the public more and more. We're talking about individuals waking up but because there's so much talk also about an acceleration, a need to accelerate uh, this wake-up call, if you will, if we're going to, uh, if we hope to keep this world afloat before these deadlines that people like to say of 2030 with the IPCC, I don't necessarily subscribe to actual dates. I think that's very difficult, but I understand the reasoning for trying to motivate the planet. Are there ways that we can motivate the planet to wake up en masse in large-scale ways? Mm -hmm. Because all of these individual wake-up calls are imperative, but that can take time. Is there something that we can do to help jumpstart a massive collective? uh, I just want to say one thing because... Chamonix had mentioned um, in a wonderful TEDx uh, that I, I watched recently, this wonderful quote, what if we're biologically wired to not only feel each other, but heal each other. So therefore, my question is, is there a way we can heal each other en masse in some kind of a massive uh, moment on this planet? I'd like to know what both of you think, but let's
2: start with you, Shamini thank you it's it's the question of the day the hour <laughs> the year a question of our times right and mm-hmm. and as you started off saying in the very beginning alison i think the it's it's the inner right it's the insight that is going to lead us there and and you know in that tedx berkeley talk also you you probably heard you know speaking of systems and politics um <laughs> Unfortunately, we still live in an age of duality and dualism. And so what happened, I want folks to, to know that this recent TEDx Berkeley talk, which talks very much about the deep scientific truth about our interconnection from neuroscience, biofield science levels. I've cited and, and discussed many, many, many studies in biofield science, not just my own. TEDx chose to put a flag on it. And it actually has really upset many people in the community because they said, basically TEDx said, oh, this isn't evidence-based. And as I did a little more research, I recognized that I'm not sure what's going on with Ted Corporate, but they are flagging talks left and right in holistic health. It's not just the biofield and consciousness, which we know they've always had a problem with, but they're flagging talks on breathing and, and nutrition that are being, you know, that, that mm-hmm. are being related by MDs and, and other health professionals. So it's very curious. And it has gotten me thinking, as well as many leaders in the integrative health field. Well, how do we address this problem? Because the old way would have been, I need to convince you of my point of view. Okay, that doesn't work. (laughs) It's never going to work. And, And that's part of the problem that I think all of us have on some level is we ascribe to a certain religion, a certain political system, a certain way of eating, you know, whatever it is, right? And we think our way is the right way. So I think the first thing we have to do is clear our own biases. And 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 certainly i think working with our own unconscious bias which i do speak a bit about in using all these tools that we're talking about today working with the biofield using mind body spirit practices to come into the larger consciousness to in some sense get a better sense of ourselves beyond our egoic mind okay we live in the world we're going to have ego just by being embodied okay this is what we have been taught and what we experience and what happens if we see ourselves in another person, knowing that they think, look, act, feel very differently from us, but we can come to that place of real love for them as a living being, you know, in Jainism, as you may know, our, our primary tenet we have many, but the one that we're most known for is ahimsa. Ahimsa is nonviolence. So, you know, when I was, when I was young in school here, growing up in the deep South, surrounded by Christians, they would laugh at me because I wouldn't want to kill a bug. Right. Uh-huh. But it was, what I tried to explain to them is it's not like we're just trying to follow these prescribed rules. We recognize the divinity in that bug. Even the mosquito who, believe me, I want to slap, (laughs) you know, like it's, you know, I, Recognize that there is a divine life force in that. And again, from my point of view, because I, you know, I love the biofield and I love energy, and I I personally feel that is a reverence for Shakti, you know, the divine feminine and the manifest power behind the entire universe. So when I look at a person or an animal or a plant, I try to look at it with that level of reverence. And I may choose Mm to. Disagree with them, but if you're asking, how are we going to foster this harmony? How are we? It all comes back to seeing the divinity in everything. I think in everyone, mm. even those that trouble us the most. <laughs> Perhaps especially so. Beautifully said, Fred.
0: Your thoughts on what Shamini said?
3: Well, I like to go back onto healing, mm-hmm. like support system. So there's a lot of research um, that study on healing are more sophisticated. Analyzing, you speak for 10 seconds, your whole profile, your sickness, your, your deficiency. And then every vitamin, everything has a frequency. And then you can actually do sound healing in a much more sophisticated, computer generated way. Um, so his sound healing has merged both in China, which is coming from the Yellow Emperor canon into scientific research of accurate frequency control and sound healing, that is beyond your sound bow, your tuning fork, your gong, and so forth. It's getting very, very sophisticated about sound healing. But one thing we have to understand, and these are just support systems, okay? These are just support systems. The only way that you can truly heal is shift consciousness. But every time you shift consciousness, healing happens. Healing is not something happened outside. What support system is support you to shift consciousness? If you do not shift consciousness, this is an aspirin only. It cannot solve the problem, right? Now, the Gaia has speed up and has lightened an energy. So everything in this era, even technology, sound healing, Gaia is supporting us, mm-hmm. but it is like Picking sand out of our eyes and the healing. your trauma cannot be healed by picking sand out of your eye, because every day you're creating trauma. Everybody somebody judges you, you create so many trauma. Every time you judge somebody, you create so much trauma. So you cannot clean the sand out of your eye one at a time. What mm. you do is to shift major step of consciousness, which will change your worldview, change your energy. Now Hawkins, kids. David Hawkins, I'm sure many of you think about this. Map of consciousness, outside of the body, on the invisible side, he put energy, worldview, and emotions. Aha! Surprise! Love is only when you're rid of the I and only become reason objectively. You arrive in love, and love is not an emotion. Emotion are all lower level consciousness. Love is an action. Okay, a love is an action without the eye. Mm-hmm. It's not an emotion. Mm-hmm. In fact, the courage toward the point is when you see through the issue of emotion, you start praying it up to the levels. And when you arrive in love, you don't have any feelings. Mm-hmm. You just mm-hmm. do naturally. Because the eye is gone. Mm -hmm. Then you have flow, called joy, and finally you have peace, which is be yourself and flow. Then from there you have enlightenment. Okay? So these are different levels of consciousness, and each of the level of consciousness, you have a worldview. Now, it's not stable initially, but after a certain while, it will stabilize and the range will narrow and your worldview will be stable. And in Buddhism, which is very similar to Jainism, you see the world with five levels of consciousness, how you see truth.
0: Oh boy, have I got I, a question? I, though. I, okay.
3: but, but
0: I have to jump in though, because, and then, Shamini, I don't know if you want to respond to that, but I just have to ask, because we're talking about a dynamic, a quality of love that most people on this planet have never or probably will never although i would like not to believe that experience this kind of impersonal love i don't know if we would call it high heart love what is this love that most human beings have been feeling in one form or another towards their children towards their partner towards an animal a species whatever even towards self no
3: and love with distorted perception of ignorance That's what most of us have
2: been experiencing.
3: We watch too many movies from Hollywood and we think (laughs) you complete me, you this, you that. And it is a reliant codependence. It is a control. It is an exchange.
2: As a mom, as a mom, (laughs) I would see it a little differently. I I don't disagree with much of what you say, Mm. especially on the conceptual level. On the experiential level, though, what, what I'll just I'll share a few thoughts, Fred, based on what you said. The way you describe love is sort of beyond what we think of as emotion. When I think about that, you know, I think about literally Shakti herself, right? The manifest power behind the entire universe is action, right? Love is simply that action. When we are able to tap into that completely unconditional love, we're literally with the flow of things, right? There's no, as you say, there's no eye to attach to, there's no object of affection to attach to. This is why we can be in love with everything and everyone because we're literally with that quality of divinity. And so therefore we see it in everyone. And so our love isn't limited to one person or even our nuclear family or our pet or people we know. We see that in everyone. And I, I do believe that The love that we have for, say, our spouses or our parents or our friends, our family members, our pets, the earth around us is an expression of that, albeit limited in form, because it is filtered through an egoic consciousness, which is limited in its ability. Right. But it is a flavor of that love. And if we were, for example, I'm a householder, I'm married, I've been married almost 20 years now. Marriage is never an easy thing, but it's a beautiful mirror right? So when we choose to engage in those sorts of relationships in marriage or committed relationships or whatever, whatever kind of relationship we have, we have an opportunity to expand our consciousness by seeing the divinity in another person, even when they aren't like us or they, you know, we didn't get attention or whatever that is, right? That's all limited, as you say, but (laughs) the beauty of the practice then is to say, okay, Am I viewing this person conditionally, transactionally? Can I love this person unconditionally? Because if I can't love my spouse unconditionally, how can I love everyone else unconditionally, right? So it is a practice that the ability to feel love for people around us is a practice that leads us to the ultimate love that you speak of. The issue with our ancient teachings around this and and I will say I've read many, first of all, they're all filtered. Okay. Most of them have, fil- have been filtered by male monks who have denounced marriage, who have denounced femininity, who have denounced women. Okay. I have read many books growing up about, you know, how women will steer you wrong and all that. Okay. That, those are your own impulses you need to deal with. There's nothing wrong with a woman. There's nothing wrong with marriage itself. Right. <laughs> That's you trying to work it out, you know, in your own. And if you choose to not engage in that because you want to go straight for the big, capital L love. Wonderful. Right. And, you know, if we take all of those filters off, even the interpretations of the text that have been sort of filtered by a patriarchal system, then we recognize that wherever we are in the journey is a beautiful one because we can choose to experience love in every moment, in every way. And as you suggest, Fred, the more we can recognize when we're being transactional about it, egoic about it, um, the the larger our experience of love will be, even with another human being. So that's my perspective.
0: Fascinating. Isn't it ironic, in fact, both that uh, that people science uh, still re- refers to these realms of the esoteric or um, the biofield uh, science as pseudoscience when when something as ephemeral as love, something we can't qualify, quantify, etc. Nobody questions that, well, except in conversations like this, perhaps, but that's a given. Science is not saying, well, now we have to go analyze love because maybe it's not real. That seems to be an accepted form. So there is a kind of uh, cognitive dissonance on that, which is a little inexplicable, unless either of you have an idea of how to explain that conundrum in our last few minutes here. Anybody want to take a stab
2: at it? (laughs) <laughs> I'll just share something that my dear colleague, uh, Dr. Richard Hammerschlag, who is a research director for the Consciousness and Healing Initiative and a big fan of Irwin's, by the way, um, shared with me. And I think he's spot on, actually. Part of the issue is, again, if we're trying to describe something as real and people haven't experienced it, most people have had an experience of a flavor of love. And and Richard poses a very, I think, provocative way to approach the biofield which is what if we approach the biofield not as a thing that we have to prove but as a perspective as an experience right so we when we approach things from a biofield perspective we then open to the experience of interconnection whether it's with ourselves the earth each other you know um so what if we approached it as a perspective instead of something that we had to prove existed? Mm, it's very allowing, very
0: accommodating, I think. Fred, last reflections perhaps on on this or anything else of this discussion or on the big L word?
3: <laughs> um, so the Chinese L word is love and emotion always used together because Often, we think emotion is love, but emotion is not. These are two different things in the Chinese word. In the Tao Te Ching, it talks about the minute we put a name, it becomes a thing. The minute it becomes a thing, it becomes distorted. So you call it, this is a cup, it becomes a cup. The name is identity, you create the thing. Otherwise, it's not a thing. Now, every illusion is also real. (laughs) <laughs> and what is empty is the same as what is, is formed. And so the whole idea is don't pay too much attention. Cognitive dissonance happens all the time. We're always justified. We are, uh, the minute the presence of I, we are not rational, we are always rationalizing. Only when you have surplus all emotions, I move and understand how I use emotions because, like, if we're talking, we have to use emotion. Because you don't read my words, you read my emotion, then you listen to my words. So even I'm working with you, I have to use emotion to communicate. Connective dissonance is the presence of I, and we go into non-reasoning but rationalizing. It's a common thing that happen moment to moment. Don't worry too much about it. As you move yourself into the light of stillness and understanding not the dogma of religion with a bad and woman, monger, No. If you cut through and really study, I have the same thing. You know, I have Dharma talk to my family. My sister said, well, I'm compassionate. I, I'm into the six perfection and blah, blah, blah. It's so defined. And the mother always come out when they touch about love because he thinks mother is pure love. Parents are pure love. Well we know it's not true. We know we parents are not pure love. But we like to believe because we feel it. Feeling either use us or we use it. Mm. That.
0: Mm. Wow. Shamani, I, I almost invite you at the end of this program to sing something because I know you love music. Yeah. And you're a singer, would you like to transform this
2: finale into a symphony? Yeah, Yeah, beautiful. And I want to thank you for this beautiful discussion. I've had so much fun during this hour, exploring all of these beautiful facets Mm -hmm. of the human experience with you. So thank you so much. And in reverence, I think to love, we'll just go into a brief mantra recitation, I think, to allow us to all touch within that deep love that exists, that is truly our essence. And, uh, this particular mantra just gives reverence to the divine feminine. You know, that sort of conceived idea of a manifestation of pure love. Mm. So. Om Sarva Mangala Mangalye shiv shravat shaadi ke gauri narayani
3: namo stute May the light of our love touch and fill our
2: hearts always so we truly recognize our divine nature.
0: Mm. My goodness, what a note, literal note to end on. I am so grateful for this fascinating, beautiful conversation with all of you today. And to you, Shamani, shaman is in that word, that beautiful name. And I can understand why Fred Irvin, everybody who's listening, wherever you are in whatever nation state or emotional state, this is the place to tune in. I want to thank our team led by Nora Cesar, Kenichi Sugihara, Fabrizio Beria, and IT Institute's. To George Habib and Chris Yap. I'm Alison Goldwyn inviting you all to join us for more podcast episodes and to gift a copy of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing book to yourself or a loved one. It's a beautiful companion during these challenging times. So as I say, from whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in, dawn of an era of well-being is the place to literally tune in. The bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us. So remember, when building that new paradigm for humankind, let's include humankindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. Thank you for joining us. Dawn of an Era of Well-Being is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute, IT Institute and Select Books. It's produced by Nora Cesar and Kenichi Sugihara with theme music Chimera by Piba DuPont. The book Dawn of an Era of Well-Being co-authored by Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Sall is available wherever books or e-books are sold. Please subscribe to Dawn of an Era of Well-Being the podcast on Apple or Spotify for more fascinating guests and discussion. My name is alison goldwin founder and creative director of synchronistry.com a future party for the planet broadcast live worldwide wishing you well-being till we talk again next week